0: Welcome to the New York Mandate Podcast, where we take a look at the costs and consequences of New York's COVID-19 vaccine mandates. I'm Amy, and in this series, I'll be talking with people who have been directly affected by mandates about their perspectives and experiences. I am here today in uh, Staten Island with Curtis and Liz Cutler, and um, I'm actually here in in their home to talk to them. Um, about what's happened with the mandate in their life. And why don't we just start by telling that story?
1: Sure. Um, Just like you said, of course, my name is Curtis, this is my wife Liz, and we uh, have been affected greatly by what's come down in New York City. Um, I myself held held a city job and I was terminated from that job. A little bit about us though, um, we are uh, born again Christians. Um, and we put in for what the city put out as a religious exemption, and that was denied. Um, we have held our sincerely, uh, sincere, sincerely held beliefs for quite some time. Um, we believe that uh, Christ Jesus came and and he paid for our sins according to the scriptures. Uh, Paul quotes it in, in Romans um, no, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, For I delivered unto you as first importance what you also received. Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that's important according to the scriptures. When he was buried and raised on the third day. And that is one of the, the monolithic truths that we would hold as Christians. And that um, that gospel presentation is something that guides pretty much our whole life. Mm-hmm. Um All all the truths that are necessarily connected to that as well, I would say scripturally. But that's who we are. That's what we believe. I serve in a small church here in Staten Island as deacon. Um, And here's the funny part of the story, if if you can consider that funny. But um, deacon in a small church puts in for religious exemption working a city job. I also have a few men within the church that I attend who put in for uh, religious exemptions
2: for the uh, same job. For the same job. They
1: They're in my garage, two of which are in my garage. They got their exemptions and mine was denied. Um, basically believed the same things. Um, so uh, it appeared that the standard for the religious review or the scrutiny of our religious exemptions was done in an arbitrary way. Um, but this is where we find ourselves. It, um, our RE was, uh, of course, denied. I was terminated and um we are actually looking to sell our home and, and move down south because we we really can't afford uh to live in any form of viability here with with the new york bills and in all those things mm-hmm. um we slowly bleed out so uh, we decided to sell our home and, and move down south and and there's been a lot of i would say damages and ramifications because of that that ruling um some of which would be uh, we're moving uh, down south. That's our plan as of now. Uh, the house is under contract. We have a uh, two children, an eight- year- old daughter and a teenage son. My son uh, has decided to finish his last year uh, here in New York, and it was a you know it was, took some process of family discussion to figure all that out, and uh, we decided that it would be good for him, you know. To finish here, if that's what really his heart desire was, we didn't want to put any unneeded or undue stress on him. That's a big move, especially for a 17-and-a-half-year-old kid. Um, Luckily, we have family in the area that that are able to to care for him and and watch over him within that last year. But the splitting up of our family is another result of what's happened to us. It's certainly emotional. It's not easy to, to talk about, think about. Um, but, uh, another, uh, consequence of what, what has happened to us is they've, uh, by denying my RE and, uh, uh, facing this, uh, consequence now me as deacon and being forced to live, live down South, move out of, out of the area, they've damaged the religious community because now I'm the only deacon in the church that has to move along. So they
2: have to find somebody the, else to step up and right a point and all that you know it's tough It's tough on the congregation is you know the church that we go to was my husband's gran- grandparents took care of the church for more than 40 years. His grandfather was an elder there. he grew up in that church and became deacon and it's 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 tough to leave you know to leave it and for them to have to find, you know and, and they will you know there's there's plenty of good men in the congregation but you know the fact that he knows the building inside and out he's you know what i mean he just he knows certain things that somebody else would kind of take a little while to adapt to he's just like right there with it to lose that kind of um knowledge you know is 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 kind of it's going to be tough
1: mm-hmm. so. and of course biblically speaking the uh the role of deacon set forth in the scriptures would be, you know, 1 uh, Timothy three yeah. and Titus, I believe, one seven. The office and position is derived from um, what what we would consider the congregation as well as the the elders uh, choosing choosing a, a men that fit the criteria set forth in those scriptures. Yeah. So we would say it's a work of God among the physical congregation and elders uh, with that with that choosing. So. Biblical position and role from a Christian standpoint and worldview is something of, of, you know, a weighty, a weighty position. And I don't say that because I like titles. I just say it because it's I hold true. the scriptures in high regard. So,
0: well, for people who don't know, what does a deacon do?
1: Deacon is like a shock absorber for the for the elders. <laughs> um, elder and pastors is synonymous. Um, their job, at, if you look in Acts chapter six. Uh, their job is really to minister to the people and for prayer right so there was uh, a dispute in Acts chapter six that certain people within the congregation in the first century church weren't receiving the same care so the the elders came together and said well we need to set some set forward some men who are of good reputation and who are filled with you know godly wisdom to take care of these people and that's pretty much the role of the deacon and now we find it two thousand years later they may be uh, streams of modification because now we, we live a little bit of a different world, but pretty much the same thing. How can I take care of the widows, or does the building need certain repairs? How can we look after these things? And it just really pretty much frees up uh, pastors to do their to do their job.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So this is the church that you grew up in. You grew up in Staten Island. Um, and you're you're me. also a native New Yorker.
2: I I'm, I'm native Brooklynite. Right. <laughs> but I moved out here
1: when when we met.
0: Right. Okay. Um so you've ha- have you always lived in New York both of you?
1: I've I grew up in Ta- on the, the southern end here yeah. Staten Island and in for a long time. Right.
2: I was born in Brooklyn. I had a 9-year stint in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. My parents had a house built and wanted to get me out of the city at the age of 10. Uh-huh. So I was raised in Brooklyn, I say I grew up in Pennsylvania, and then um, my parents passed away when I was 19, so I moved back to Brooklyn, so
0: came back. So where where are you thinking of moving to in the South?
1: Well, we were introduced to a website called conservativemove.com, and what, what those people did is they helped give us statistics on finding areas to live in which fit our worldview. Um, Fit our demographic Um, so After reviewing my wife did some heavy review on -hmm. on the areas in which they put forth to us And she did a ton of calls. She called Mm -hmm. schools city, you know counties counties uh, To find out what what are your mandates what's going on politically and we finally uh, We decided to catch a few flights go do a little tour drive around
2: we honed in on we were honing in on Florida South Carolina and Tennessee. Um, Tennessee seemed to be a little too cold, um, trying to get for (laughs) warmer weather. So I was like, you know what, I'm gonna kind of toss Tennessee to the side. In uh, the end of January, we flew out, we visited about three counties in Florida. And then we flew um, from there to South Carolina and we viewed a county called Greenville County in South Carolina, which is right under the Rocky Mountains. and we basically liked the way Greenville looked a lot better than anywhere that we were in Florida. It was kind of sad because I kind of would have liked to move to Florida for the weather and stuff like that. But the the area in South Carolina really, and we're both like very, like I'm a city girl, but I lived in the country for a long time. So mm-hmm. I'm like a mix, I'm a city and he's very, being on Staten Island, if you know anything about Staten Island back in the day, it was all woods. It was It was the sticks of the boroughs. So we kind of have that in common, and it really looked like Pennsylvania, but warmer. Like, in will be warmer in this, in this, in the winter. That's really what it like came down. Mm. That's what it looked like to to me. So yeah. we kind of honed in on Greenville, mm-hmm. Greenville County, which is actually pretty big. There's a lot of uh, different areas in Greenville County that we could find a house in, mm-hmm. um, and then the center of that is uh, the city of Greenville, which is just like a a big long strip of restaurants. I mean, there's a hundred restaurants within like one block. It really looked like when we were there the first time, it really kind of reminded me of the village in Manhattan, Hmm. but just a lot less nonsense that you get in the village. Just like really nice, wholesome, um, beautiful park area, waterfalls. And there's a, a stem of trails. They call it the Swamp Rabbit Trail mm-hmm. from there, and you can actually take. And they're extending them. You can actually take the trails and go anywhere else in the county by bike, by foot, wherever. And and all the other little cities have their own little strip, their own little main street of of um, shops and restaurants and stuff. So it was really mm-hmm. it was really nice. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where we kind of, where we honed in on.
0: So you have you have an. Um... Like bought a house there yet? Not, yeah. not yet because we don't have a closing date <laughs> yeah. here
2: yet, okay. and they close much faster than here. So we have to uh, close here first so mm-hmm. that we can take the proceeds here, um, and, buy and then buy around. a house there because right. we don't, you know, we don't have the, the so,
1: capital to do as that. You can imagine it's a little stressful. It's very. That's oh. think about these timelines actually working out in our favor. right. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> um. Okay. So that was. So you started scoping things out down there kind of around January, you said? Yeah, a little
2: before January by making phone calls. And then our first trip down there was at the end of January. And then Memorial Day weekend, we actually took the kids and we drove down there to just check out another county that friends of ours have moved to from the church um, to check that area out in some houses. Um, But he ended up getting a job, landing a job in Greenville County. So that kind of settled it for us on where exactly we were going to look for a house.
1: And when we made this decision to go look, this was primarily around the time when they put they put us on no pay status.
2: You leave without pay, right? It was at the beginning of January.
0: Yeah. What what was that whole timeline like? Um, when did you first hear about the mandate, and then oh, how did that roll? Uh, out for you? Well,
1: we we kind of saw it coming down coming down the pipe. Pike, pike um, early. We kind of figured, you know, with the way things are, especially with politics in the area, this is something kind of watch out for. So. I actually submitted um, an RE, or religious exemption, to my EEO um, Department for the Sanitation of New York before the mandate.
2: About like a month or two before, before it actually came when down. When the teachers and the healthcare workers were going through what they were going through because they were the first target, we were mm-hmm. like, this is going to this come down
1: right. for us. And yeah. I remember appealing to them within my RE saying, look, I'm mm-hmm. thankful that the department, this department, this EEO, has um pillars that allow me to be who i am and one of the pillars of the eeo um department is that we're allowed to have and maintain our own moral status our own moral standard that is and um i remember writing that in in the in the letter or something along the lines to that because um if that's going to be a pillar of what they depend upon in order for me to um, operate according to who i am and what i believe it's something I could lean on. At least I thought I could, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but um, they've shown otherwise. We're talking about the equal employment opportunity. Yes, yes, yes. within yeah. the
2: within the DSNY, right? So you did that like about a month or two before, and then October 27th was the actual deadline. Was the actual mandate right vaccination mandate for the city workers, including and you. I was a
1: supervisor like the previous year before that um, and the interesting thing was when you when you become a supervisor they give you a whole bunch of classes on all these things and i remember being addressed by the woman from the equal employment Mm -hmm. opportunity and she put forth this paper with all these pillars EEO. and i asked the question i said well what happens if one pillar um, is in disagreement with another say for instance i'm a supervisor now and they asked me to teach on something i did not feel comfortable teaching Mm -hmm. Um, subject matter, you know, whatever it may be, gender, sexual orientation, all these things that, you know, as a deacon in the church, I said, that's not for me um, to teach on. I got a non-answer. And you know what she gave me? She gave me a cup. Thank you. She said, thank you for asking a question. So um, that was that was the answer I got. And um, I became a supervisor for a little while until the commute from here to Upper Manhattan got to be a little too much, especially with the uh, we had just the pandemic been, stuff happening, yeah. and I was I was worried about the kids being at home because they were being home, you know, the online learning, and we we didn't particularly like that either. No. So I said, let me it get close crazy. to my family at this time and go back to being a sanitation worker.
2: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: So I I kind of demoted myself um, with everything going on.
0: Hmm. Right. Yeah. Tell me about um, your um, history working for sanitation. When did you start working
1: for them? Uh, before I got on, I was working for Pepsi Cola in Piscataway, New Jersey. And I saw the city test come out, went one day and took it. Seven years later, got hired. And that's because of the hiring freezes that happened in New York City.
2: Um, He actually took the test before we, way before we even (laughs) met. So
1: I kind of forgot about that. I took the test. I wasn't banking on the job, but when it came, I remember Bloomberg was the mayor and it was a dispute going on about size of drinks and all these sugary drinks and all these things. Right. And I said, hmm. <laughs> I work for Pepsi and they're disputing all these things. I said, you know, this may get regulated. This may not. But with, with the sanitation, there'll always be a need to pick up garbage. The, the pension is great. The benefits are great. You know what? I'm going to go start a whole new career after working for Pepsi for what, um, like seven and a half years.
2: Not, almost, I think nine, I think almost eight, maybe Eight or nine. Somewhere around
1: there. Yeah. But I left, started a whole new career with sanitation. And we had just
2: had Haley, too. We had just had my daughter.
1: Right. Uh, you start at the bottom of the rung, of course, yeah. like, you know, um, we were speaking about at the bottom of the totem pole, and you got to work your way up. And uh, I worked my way up over a course of seven and a half years or uh, from being forced to work in the Bronx. Making my way to Coney Island, and then and all the way to San. San. you San. got to Staten
2: Island pretty quickly. A lot of people were very surprised how fast his transfers went through. So, which was great. We we praise God right. for that because to be closest to home was like, especially with a new baby and everything. It was really. It was here, really here, here's the,
1: the tough part about working for sanitation and maybe some other city agencies. And this may be due to union bargaining, but the um, the way you get paid by scale till you reach top pay with sanitation was five and a half years. I wasn't able to buy this home, which is our first home, by the way. Right. You know, we scraped together and saved and, you know, it was always our dream to have our own home. And it was just about uh, maybe, what was it, a year or a few months after getting to top pay, being Mm -hmm. able to put put money together to to provide for our family, give our teenage son his own room.
2: We were scrimping for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. And when he first started, he was making $400 a week. Like, with two kids and rents and bills yeah. and car payment. And I mean, it, that was, it was hard. I remember
1: on my day off, it was I'd go, very hard. Hard. I'd work for a contractor and I'd make more on that one day than in time. week was working very for the city. So
2: when he actually got to that, you know, next tier of pay, you know, we we actually were getting a little bit of breathing room. So to be able to, you know, the beginning of, what was it, 2020? Or mid twenty twenty to start looking for something.
1: Right. You know.
2: Cause then right. we closed we closed on, on this house um January thirteenth of twenty twenty one. That's when we closed. And then we moved the following March, mm-hmm. the end of March. Because right. we had to renovate the house. Okay. okay. So that's that's when we that's when we closed on the house. So it was it was tough. It was tough to get there. True. You know? True.
0: So you bought the house during the pandemic. We yes. bought the during house during the, during late pandemic. Of the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> towards, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Well, towards the end of it, because it was already a year. Yeah. Well, the pandemic started in like you know Feb March of 2020. 2020. So yeah. like about mm-hmm. a year later, we were moved. We were moving into the mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. The interesting uh, helping hand behind all that is when the pandemic came. If you consider this at the end, everybody was at home. Um, and the garbage was twice as heavy as it normally was. But, so we were working but except overtime him. and everything was, else. So I was actually making more money than I'd normally make. And Financially, is, it
2: was a ble- I mean, it was horrible that it happened, you know, and it was unfortunate. But financially for us, it really was a blessing because he worked through the whole pandemic. I mean, there, was no vaccine, we were, there was no vaccine. There was no masking. There was none of any of that for his job. He worked through the whole thing, like nonstop. You know, it was, it was crazy. Right.
1: And, and this is pretty much where we were lauded as essential workers, heroes. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank right. you. Until no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Terminated. Right.
0: So, in
1: so
2: a year.
0: <laughs> I, I want to um, just uh, explain this a little bit for mm-hmm. people who are not from New York, because hopefully people who are not from New York will also listen to this conversation. <laughs> um, you start out working in the Bronx, mm-hmm. you live in Staten Island. Mm-hmm. These are, far ends of yeah. New York City from one thing <laughs> so, to the other. Yes.
1: The East is from the West. I mean, yes. <laughs> so you
0: started out commuting, you probably had you were probably commuting what, like three, four hours a day. Oh, it was terrible. Yeah, yeah. It was like
1: depending on what day it was, yeah. It was like an hour and a half or an hour out early in the morning if my shift was early, yeah. four in the morning. Mm-hmm. Just leave leave an hour early. Just get there, right? Just what, And you were on home?
2: probation too. So you're on probation for 18 months. So if you're late, like, at least, I don't know how many times they allow you to be late on probation, I forgot. But that right. was another thing. It was like, I am in the Bronx from all the way down here. And if I'm late, at least even just once, I could get fired because I'm on probation. So that was another and, thing right. that was always
1: on. And not to mind have too. a, it's not a bragging point. I just want to display the, you know, the character and the, um, you know, the the career I had. I When I worked for sanitation, I wasn't late once. Not once did I did I go AWOL. Um but anyway, back to the, the driving uh aspect and the commute. It was pretty bad. In fact, it was so bad that sometimes if my shifts corresponded too close to one another, you just sleep in the car. Yeah, he would just Why stare. drive back home?
0: Wow, he would just <laughs> yell. Yeah.
1: And, and that happened many times. Because your shifts changed. Every day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't have a consistent schedule no. but you had to always show up when they told yes. you
1: all according to seniority. Yeah. So where you fall on the seniority <laughs> board is where what shift you're either forced to work on or what you can choose.
2: And you don't know until the day before at 1 o'clock. Right around yeah.
1: when the board closes. Yeah. You,
2: know, you have to call in every day before the day, day before. So, okay, when am I working tomorrow? Hi. Okay. So it's like there was, there's right, no so I'm, consistency. I'm 6
1: to 2 today, and all of a sudden I call up. You're, you're midnight to 8. But my commute's going to be two and a half hours home from Friday. Friday
0: traffic. whatever are the cases? Okay. All right. So, okay. So over the years, you got closer and closer to home. <laughs> you, you were working in Coney Island, and then you got down to Staten Island. So mm-hmm. by the time the um, you know, beginning of 2020 rolled around, the beginning of the pandemic, um, you were working in Staten Island. Mm-hmm. And that was throughout the pandemic yes. period. Mm-hmm. Yes. What was that like <laughs> uh, this is this is Staten Island is very residential more so than a lot of parts of New York, and mm-hmm. I imagine people were kind of staying in Yes. everybody was staying at home um What was it like being out there every day
1: to be honest with you, other than you know the the garbage being particularly heavy, because everybody <laughs> was producing, producing, producing.
2: A lot of home renovations were going uh-huh. on while people were at home. A that lot of too, heavy, heavy, heavy
1: too. garbage. <laughs> uh, the, job, the job was, you know, just as follows every day. It was, it was not much different other than that. Um, we'd, we'd be paired up in the morning. We were on collection, and we'd go out and do what we had to do. Um, it was, you know, it was that simple.
0: Did the did Staten Island itself feel different? I know that for people who are in Manhattan or, or like really dense areas there was a huge difference, you know, because there's a lot of street activity usually, yeah. but maybe here it wasn't uh, as... Not as
1: I would say not as much. No, um, yeah. I think if you like if you were post walking into the city, you get more of a ghost town feel right. yeah. here. Not so much. The most attitude in Staten Island is a little different, too. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't I don't think you would have felt and that. And the so.
2: travel here is different, too. There's a lot of mass transit, so there's a lot more street activity in the other boroughs. Here, mm-hmm. you really, like, there's, it's less street activity. There's not a lot of, I mean, there's just buses and the Staten Island Railroad that just goes in from one direction to the other. It's no, like, you know, it doesn't branch off into different lines. Right. So, most people out here do, you know, mm-hmm. drive. So...
1: And I, I, so I think, that, that
2: makes it different too. I
1: think one difference that was highlighted, job aside, was not being able to eat in restaurants. Staten Island thrives really on its on a lot of its restaurants, restaurants and, um, and
2: entertainment, and movie theaters strange. and stuff like not that. Being and able that was. to
1: go eat and show your vaccine card. And yeah. Little too like
2: we went here, there was a diner that when we moved here, we started to really like. And we would go there all the time. And then we went there with the kids one Saturday morning to go eat. And we walked in, and she was like, you know, do you have your backs, Do you um, do you have your cards with you? And I'm like, oh no, we don't have vaccine. she's like, well then you can't come in. And I was like, okay, fine. And we went to Jersey.
1: And to be honest, because in too, Jersey
2: there was there you could go in a restaurant and you can eat. So I mean, it which was which
1: was incredibly strange, strange and incredibly silly. Um, to pay I mean, a toll just to I go just go to think about guys. the business owners in Jersey loving the fact that they're getting all <laughs> the Staten Island business
0: because right. it's right across yeah it's but, right over the bridge yeah.
2: right here so <laughs> it's not a big deal yeah although you can't, you have to pay soul,
0: but yeah yeah so what about you you were you're a homemaker right yeah, a so them, so it probably didn't ch- change as much for you as it did for some people because you we were used to being home um <laughs> working I mean in the it, home.
2: it did for me when mm-hmm. De Blasio decided to close the schools
0: right which
2: is something that I was heavily against Um, you know, I don't agree with de Blasio, with de Blasio on a lot of things, but he was reluctant at first to close the schools. And I was happy for that. But when he caved and he did, I just knew that that was just going to be a bigger fallout than what they were thinking. There was no more like going back to normal for the kids was going to be a really long haul if ever getting back there to begin with. And over the last two years, look at what our public schools are now. It, they're a shell of what they used to be, unfortunately. I mean, it's gotten a little better for them, but it's nowhere near what what it was. And there's, I think there's a stigma to them now, unfortunately, um, because of everything that the, the cities, the city's put on on the schools, on the teachers, on the, the kids. Area. It was hard, you know, my daughter, my son, was forced to go remote uh, middle of his freshman year and stayed mm-hmm. remote all of his sophomore year and a quarter of his junior year. I mean, the kid got his high school career stolen from him. Right. And his education is non-existent. I mean, the teachers, you know, don't even care if the kids go on Google to look up the answers, as long as they just hand in the work. I mean, it's not an education. There's no merit. There's no self accountability. There's, there's, there's nothing. It's just, you know, eh, whatever. And, and it was hard for my son, you know, it put him in a, in a horrible place. You know, he was in his room. I mean, at the time we were in our small two bedroom apartment, you know, he shared, it was bad enough. He was sharing a room with his, you know, sister who was eight years younger than him, (laughs) you know? So it's like I had her downstairs and he was just locked up in his room constantly you know, in a small room and, you know, it had, it had a, it didn't have a great effect on him mentally and emotionally, unfortunately, praise God, you know, he's gotten so much better now and he's older and matured more, but I mean, we hit a lot of rough patches, you know, teenagehood is hard as it is Mm -hmm. to have all that put back on top of them to compact everything. That's already going to be a hard transition from child to a, you know, young adult You know, it's just, it's tough. And for my daughter and I, you know, I deal with certain like anxiety issues and stuff like that. And just to have her and it's like, you know, pulling teeth to get her to sit and do her work at a computer. And that's the other thing. They're on the screens all the time. There's a screen in front of their face all the time. I mean, Mm -hmm. I remember when the expert said, you know, limit screen time. It's not very good. Oh, now it's, oh, just look at a screen like 24 seven. It's okay. Like what happened? you know? So it was really hard for me and her um, to to go through that, to be that way. And after mm-hmm. that, after her first yeah. grade year of being over, I was like, I can't do this. So right. we found, you know, my son had been back and forth from a private school in the area. Um, so we talked about it and, you know, he was making a little more money because he reached, you know, uh, top pay for what he was, how many years he was working there. And we were like, you know what, let's see if we can do it. and. We put her in the private school that my son had graduated from and they were open throughout the whole pandemic. I mean, yeah, she had to wear a mask every now and then, but they, at their desk, they didn't have to there. And they were at their desk most of the year, most of the time. So she didn't need to wear it at the desk. So it was better. And she was, you know, in school, which for our dynamic was better for us. Um, And it was better for mine and her relationship because I just, I get a little too crazed. Um when it's like I, I my patience, unfortunately, I keep asking the Lord to grant me more, more patience, but it's just something I'm gonna have to learn. And he's trying to teach me some lessons. But it was tough. It was really tough. So her being there was much better. So it was it was hard. It, it hit us really hard. And it flew through the whole family dynamic. You know, it put stress on him, it stressed my son out It stressed my daughter. I mean, just like stress constantly. So it, it was tough. It really was tough. Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. Were you, um, a lot of people, especially early on who had kids in schools were concerned about safety issues mm-hmm. around the virus, mm-hmm. right? There were, there are a lot of parents who wanted their kids to stay home. Right. Um, even after, right. um, you know, kids started going back to school. Were you, how was that for
1: you? Were you worried
0: about the health issues no. early on? Yeah.
1: No, um, when more of the, the information and statistics started coming out, especially for children, we said, "There's, there's more politicized things about this than than not." And we could see, especially even for a man in my age, a 42-year-old man, back then, you know, 40, 41, um, the, the statistics are nearly zero for mortality rate for me. It was a 99%. A healthy, a healthy guy. It was
2: a 99.8 or whatever children, percent survival. And I,
1: I, I, we said to ourselves, "This, this." With the statistics that are out there and with the information that we're seeing, even regardless of, you know, people getting sick after getting their vaccine, um, with, with those statistics, it just seems to me that either things are being shoved under a rug, people are either being intellectually dishonest, or there's something more diabolical here at at play. And we, we, we weren't afraid for our kids' health. We, we, uh. We had some good information we believed, and we said, no, um, the best possible thing is for them to continue to grow, learn, and get strong. You know? And, you know, we believe truly that uh, our God-given immunity, our, our, our immune system, is something that is, is, you know, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And it was something that was more than capable of, of handling what we saw, at least statistically.
0: All right. All right. So. You were okay. So you were working um, on the streets during throughout the pandemic, and mm-hmm. then fall of twenty twenty one is when you submitted your your uh, application for Before religious the, exemption. Yes. Right, right. I
1: sent. I preemptively so, uh, submitted one, and then when the mandate came down, I submitted another one.
2: Um, well, they asked you. They asked you for um,
0: three additional
1: three questions. additional
2: questions on top of on top of his XRE, so he had to answer three more questions.
1: Which in what were the questions? <laughs> okay, let me let me see if I can remember, but in hindsight what I what I did is I think I, I took the wrong course of action in in taking pains to answer these questions with specificity. Um, hindsight tells me those three additional questions were none of their business, right? Um, but
2: RA should have been good enough because that's all that constitutionally—that's what
0: they need. And what, what was what was the initial thing that you submitted? It was just something that you put together yourself. Sure. You, you didn't sure. have any guidance from them. My on that, my or? initial
1: uh, religious exemption was mine. Um, I you know I'm I'm trained theologically trained by very good pastors and elders, and I was more than comfortable and confident to put together my uh, religious exemption um, with with what I felt. Uh, Scripturally, was was my standard of obedience to my King Jesus. Put it together. I submitted it. um, And then on top of that submission, we got three additional questions asked of us, which was really strange. Hey, you have to call this number and answer these three additional questions. And hindsight tells me that these three additional questions were really, what they were doing is they were trying, and I'm I'm just saying this as my opinion, as give us... Uh, put out a rope in order for people to kind of hang themselves because of the, I would say the manipulative way the questions were asked. Um, one of them being, you know, how has my faith impacted my medical decisions? Have I ever taken vaccines before? And to ask a question, if somebody's ever taken a vaccine before is quite a silly question, you know, living in our day and age, you know, when you're born, you're administered all kinds of medications apart from your free choice. Um, so right off the bat, what kind of question is that? Secondly, um, as religious people, as believers in Christ, um, we believe that we are born again, uh, or born from above. This is, this is not some sets that some people would say, oh, look, those are born again. or this is some, um, uh, type of church they belong to, or rather anybody who comes under the banner Christian would say, oh, one must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. That's just a scriptural qualifier, right? So when we would say, yes, we're religious people, you can all of a sudden take hold of the gospel and be born again at any point in your life, right? So for them to say, have you ever taken vaccines in the past? How has you know, your religion affected your medical decisions? People aren't always the same. You know, I wasn't the guy I was years ago until I would say uh, I was saved. That's, of course, theological language for, you know, putting my, my hope and trust in Christ. But um, once the, once I would say that that happens, many things change. Your whole worldview changes. Your heart changes. I have a new heart with new desires. And what I used to do in the past may have nothing to do with what now I'm doing in the future. So to ask questions about my past and to see if there's some kind of continuity... -hmm. It only proves my worldview to actually to show continuity, show truth that I was this, but now I'm that. I did this, but I don't do that no more. But their questioning was more like, "Oh, have you ever done this in the past?" Therefore, everything you say from this point on is invalid. No, no, and that to me was very manipulative, and uh, didn't. I I think they didn't really do anybody a good service by asking those questions.
0: Um, I think one of the questions that you mentioned, though, was how does your religious faith, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, create an objection to taking this vaccine? Right. That that was one of the questions. asked. Yeah. And I think that's something that people who are not religious wonder about. Like, what what is it about, Mm -hmm. you know, being a Christian or, you know, whatever faith it is you are when you're Mm -hmm. making uh, when you're applying for an exemption? How does that religious faith lead to you not wanting the vaccine? Sure. What, what, what is the role of religion there?
1: So I would say, for us Protestant evangelicals, um, our, our standard of truth is built from an understanding of God's word. So I would come to scriptures like John seventeen seventeen says, sanctify them by the truth, for your word is truth. That guides my foundational view. I, that's pretty much the lens in which I'm going to, I'm going to glean the information. What has God spoken on the issue? Really, it's a conscience issue. Number one, um, we read in Romans 14 that even such elemental things such as food, uh, something so foundational to, to living and breathing, uh, become a conscience issue in, in an overall manner. Become uh, They move from, say, an adiophorus area, an area maybe a, uh, an area that would be of lesser importance or, or uh, something like that, to an essential area. Because the scriptures tell us that whatever we don't do with faith is sin. And we're told in Ephesians 4.30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. For his, you know, we, were, we were sealed by him for the day of redemption. So when we look at Romans 14 and, and we look at the conscience situation, we are told not to violate our conscience. To violate one's conscience is sin. So that would be one of the first things that we would go to in understanding how, uh, I would say, a religious view Uh, guides my decisions when it comes to making medical decisions and things like that. With the vaccine in particular, um, we're not not against medical procedures, certain medicines. But we are, I would say, against making roomful decisions over things that aren't well-researched. Making decisions with new-founded technology that may, for instance, not have enough time studied that may do harm to people. See, I'm, I'm the sole provider and protector of my family. Um, I have people under my care. My wife has children under her care, and for me to provide for my family right now is the most important, uh, the most important, uh, I would say, uh, avenue uh, that I have. And for me to just go and disregard my conscience in this area and say, hey, never mind all the things you know uh, never mind all those things about the statistics, just go pump this thing in your veins. No, in fact, um, take all those things into mind, pray about it, think about it, and, and see where your conscience falls. If my conscience is violated with that, that I could potentially put my children and wife in harm's way by me being harmed. I'm not going to do that. So, um, that was one point. Another point, of course, would be a theology of the body. As Christians, we believe God owns our body, bought with a price. First Corinthians chapter six tells us that this is a temple of the Holy Spirit. We believe that you know Christ shed His blood on that cross, and He bought us with the, the most valuable price there ever could be. And that you know that was you know His blood is is you know His life. Of course, so thankful He was raised from the dead. But if, I was per- if my sin was put upon him on that cross and my, my sin was white, washed away, white as snow, I'm not going to do anything to, to violate what's God's property. I'm to be a manager of what's God's, right? So uh, my body is not my own. I've been bought with a price, and I have to manage that very carefully. Um, how does that affect any other decisions? Well, it does. I'm going to try my best to, to eat a little better. I'm going to work out you know, take care of my body, because in my view, it's not completely mine, it's the Lord's. So, there are, there are several avenues on why um, we would put in religious exemption against uh, this particular vaccine. Um, fear. Fear is another avenue. Uh, but we're, we're, we're told not to fear men. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's what we believe, and... Um, Jesus tells us in in Matthew, he says, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but fear him who can kill both body and soul in hell. And while we are believers now, we believe we are redeemed, God's going to watch over us, we have everlasting life, there is still wisdom and understanding, I'm not going to live my life in fear about things that can kill me, about what men say or laws that they impose upon us, because there is a higher law we answer to, a higher higher person. We would we would say we're under the law of Jesus Christ. That law comes first. Um, our our body is the Lord's and while our birth certificate may have the state's inscription, while my my driver's license may have Caesar's inscription on it, my body does not have Caesar's inscription on it. That's Christ's. So that's what we stand on.
0: I have to say that you sound like you have a sincerely held belief. <laughs> um, <Really>? Who, <laughs> who was looking at your application, um, and, and rejected it? Well,
1: I, I don't want to talk about details because yeah. those things are in the court now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I do know those names, but, um, I'll let those things settle first. What, what rules were, were those people in? As far as the rules that they, how did they scrutinize my religious exemption?
0: No, what rules? Like, were they were they people within uh, DSNY? Were they? Well,
1: they gave us two options. One would be with an outside uh, arbitration, and one would be within, you know, the department. And um, I figured my best chance would be to go with the department because the other option says I would have no legal recourse. With the city, if I chose the right. arbitration right. Cho- uh, um, choice that they gave us, and I, you know, for a guy who sincerely holds his belief, for a guy who serves in the church, for a guy who, who, for a man and a woman who are really bound in this together, who we, we want to stand on our integrity, our religious belief and principles, and and see how they, how a city, or at least a world, and you know, the world would judge people who sincerely hold their beliefs um i mean look from from our position new york america wouldn't be what it is if it wasn't for the reformers if it wasn't for you know john huss or Whitecliffe or any of these men martin luther um sparking a revolution of an idea of freedom um uh, there were many men back in those days who believed that uh, that the scriptures should be in the hands of the people, right? So what did this do? It put them up a, a sparked a seed of freedom in people's hearts and minds. That, oh, I don't need a specific man-made religion for this or for that. I can trust God and believe in God on my own. And these ideas carried into not only the Reformation, but into the new world. And that's why people fled you know, Europe they, you know, under certain persecutions. They said, no, we want freedom. We want to be able to serve and live and believe in who we want. And um, those those historical religious truths are, are directly connected to everybody who's serving here in the city. I just don't think they know it. I don't think they understand. I don't even think they understand how capitalism is has its theological lens. But
0: is that something? Um, New York is is a pretty liberal place, the city of New York, and. Um, You've <clears throat> lived here your, your, your whole life. <laughs> has there always been a, a kind of a tension between, you know, the prevailing culture of the city? Has that changed over
2: time? I think it's gotten worse. I agree. It's gotten worse. The tension has always been there. I mean, look, I come from a Roman Catholic background, I was raised Roman Catholic. My family was always you know voted democratic um we know that you know democratic say in the mid eighties is different from what democratic now is mm-hmm. um it's kind of their goal posts have kind of changed to something else unfortunately um but I remember still my parents complaining about the liberals when I was a kid, you know i mean i I grew up. I was born in downtown Brooklyn, Carroll Gardens, Cobble Hill area. Nice area, still nice area, um, very she and trendy now. Um, but back then, mostly Italian families, everyone knew each other, you know, the neighborhood was a community, um, much like how he grew up here in Tottenville, um, you know. And I remember hearing them complain, oh, these liberals are moving into the neighborhood, they gotta do this to the neighborhood, they gotta do that. And I mean, I'm a little kid, what do I know? But I remember that. So there's definitely some sort of continuity from, you know, back when I was a kid to now with some sort of stigma as to attention. But that wasn't even my parents weren't. But they weren't even like born again Christian. They were just regular Catholics, you know, Democrats. And they felt that. So if they felt that back then, how much more have we been, Right, you know, it's 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 definitely gotten a lot worse. And,
1: and I would say, from what we've seen, there's been just a downgrade uh, and a growth of what we would see Marxism and communism in the area um, to an extreme level. I mean, you, don't, you can mention Bill de Blasio, you can mention some of the Black Lives Matter people. Um, that has put a wedge between a lot of people in New York City, I would say, even in like many Staten Islanders. Um, but these ideal, this ideology, it comes in direct conflict with our with our biblical worldview. I
0: mean, there, there's always been that area of Brooklyn that you were talking about is not far from areas where there are large um, ultra orthodox Jewish communities, right. also very conservative communities. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So there's always been, even though New York, um, but they're has, more
2: accepted by their views are a lot more accepted by the ruling class in the city than our views are. Hmm. You know, the Jewish Orthodox, although, you know, de Blasio had gone after them with the playgrounds and locking up the chains and things like that. But as a whole, you know, the Jewish Orthodox, the Hasidics, they have no problem getting religious exemptions. Even the Jehovah Witnesses, they have no problem getting religious exemptions That was a whole
1: other issue, yeah. With but whereas
2: but whereas, certain. for just regular born again Christians, you know, who just place their faith solely in God and, you know, in, in his word, in the scriptures, you know, we're cast out or cast aside as not a real belief system.
1: Which is interesting. Which too, is very, yeah, <laughs> very I'll, I'll, interesting. I would say from a, a biblical standpoint, the, this, the history stands with, you know. With first-century biblical theology, it stands with people you know, not like Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons who have the root of their theology in you know 19th century, whether it be Charles Case Russell or Joseph Smith or any of these things. Now, those those are very polemical thoughts. But my wife mentioned something I just wanted to mention um, for Roman Catholics um, as a Protestant, you know, for those who understand what I'm about to say in a polemical sense. we believe in solo scriptura. We believe our standard is from the word of God. Some of the uh, vaccine mandates that have come down have affected Roman Catholics in a very negative way because of what maybe the Pope has said. And they have a view that's built on scripture and tradition, or let's say apostolic succession. Um, their view of apostolic succession, I would say, has done damage uh, to allowing them to have the freedom because of what the Pope has said um at least at least on paper we know the damage has been done across the board to a lot of people but um when you have a system that's built on men making decisions for a religious community uh it's maybe centered around what men say then uh that could really throw a wrench in the gears of say oh well that's you know this is this is an absolute truth this is a dogma to my religious system because Let's face it, men change and argue with one another. Men are fallible. That's the way we would say, no, let's point to a standard that's viable. Let's point to what was written in the past by the apostles and prophets. And that's a foundation we could stand upon. Um,
2: because he is infallible.
1: And that, that religious historical root, I think, is a very powerful root. And it allows us to, to, to stand on that solid rock why uh, people who are scrutinizing a religious exemption would ignore the historical evidence, I have no idea. Um, you know. Mm-hmm. So again, for, for Roman Catholics out there I, who, who did not receive her exemption, I, I would question these things. I would question, do I put my faith according to a tradition where men might differ on ideas? Or do I put my faith directly in Christ, directly in God, directly in, the, in what He has spoken in the Scriptures? Um, because of what a pope may come out and say, uh, you know, that may do major damage to your family. Which, of course, the family unit is the most important form of government. I don't want to, I don't want to lose that. But for a, for a religious leader in the Roman Catholic world to come out and say A, B, C, or D, um, that could play into a major problem for you. Um, and, and, and you could see how uh, philosoph- in a, through a philosophical lens, that could really, really do a lot of damage to, to your livelihood. I, I mean, for any as a religious leader myself, for any religious leader to come out and say, "Forget your conscience. This is what I have spoken." That's that's way that's an overreach beyond what any religious man should say. And
2: it's the overreach of what the Bible says. Right. It's an overreach of what the Bible well, scriptures says. scriptures are
1: clear about the conscience.
2: God God, God is the sole leader. You know, no man is leader of anything. God is sole leader. I mean, that is our, you know, we look to him and he is right. perfect. He is infallible. He doesn't make mistakes. What he says is absolute truth. A lot of people don't agree with that, but it is what it is. Right. You know, and... The fact that we place our decisions based on him alone and not in man, you know, we get the shaft, kind of, we get the... We get we get it's tossed strange. Aside. It's, certainly, it's really strange. Yeah, it's strange it's how evangelicals
1: true. are treated uh as opposed to maybe, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses or, or Muslims. They're
2: taken uh, more seriously yeah. than we are. And it's, it's just Roman very, Catholics
1: get beat up too. They um, do.
2: With, well because they because they have a man as yeah, their religious together, yeah. leader and whatever he says kind of invalidates whatever they may feel for themselves conscious wise. But how they feel for themselves conscious wise is biblical because that is, you know, like my husband said Romans 14. Yes. You know, to to go against your conscience is sin. But they have that man as a leader that kind of can with 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 whatever he says invalidate, you know, their ability to rely on what their conscience is telling them to do or not to. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where it gets it gets muddy. You know, it's unfortunate.
0: I I do know that um there have been some issues coming up with the conservative Jewish community about education in the state of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been protesting the, the rules, the regulations that the state wants to put on yeshivas. And I, I think that that, I've interviewed some people in that community and they feel that they're uh, feeling pressure on their way of life as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm kind of wondering if, you know, in the past, even though there was this tension that you're right. talking about, there was enough breathing room that right. communities um, who were, who wanted to live by their own convictions right. could do that. Right. And, without feeling that they were being interfered by, sure. by, sure. by government. By the state. Yeah. And that we've reached a point.
2: That's starting to fade you're away. You're leaving. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um,
0: right. Like
1: this, this is a point where, like that's the red line.
0: It's
2: kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back, right?
1: In a sense, it was Thomas Jefferson, I, I believe, he, he wrote uh, to the Danbury Baptist Church in, in the early 1800s about, you know, the state not having any infringement upon the church. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people nowadays they reverse that. They say, oh no, no, the separation of church and state. Don't put your religion on me. No, the protection was for the houses of worship. It was for the people that the state wouldn't oppose things to disrupt their freedom and religion.
2: Right, because that's why they—that's why people fled here to begin with. That was the whole point of the Revolutionary War and all of that was, you know, they came over from, they wanted religious freedom. Was, religious freedom was a factor. It wasn't the be-all and the end-all of everything, but it was one of their things that they wanted. They wanted religious
1: freedom. Right, I mean, John Adams, you know, he writes, the Constitution is for our religious people. And, and, and he writes this uh, because he understands that if there's no self-governance, Um, according to, you know, true and good religion. And, you know, the the opponents of the faith will say, well, there's so many different views and this person could be that. I would say by and large, the Judeo-Christian idea or philosophy placed upon a Constitution is there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's saying, look, those ideals, those things that are written in the scriptures, those are for self-governance. If you have no self-governance, that type of people cannot be governed at all. I mean I think that's a, that's an important thing.
2: And that's where tyranny right. comes into play. That's when government can completely overreach and manipulate right. and coerce and start to push in on this. Oh no, well, we'll give you a choice. You either do this or you lose your job. Right. But that's not really a choice. Right. You know, and I and I said this it's from an the an beginning, yeah. it's an ultimatum. I was like a choice mm-hmm. is when you have an end outcome, but you have several different avenues to get to that one agreed outcome, which is keeping your job. That's why we have the constitutional right to have a religious exemption. You have different avenues to get to the same thing, the same common ground. Mm -hmm. But when you say, no, you either do this or you get cut off, that's not a choice. That is an ultimatum. And that comes from tyranny. You know government over
1: over right right and unfortunately we have a lot of people who they rather view the constitution through a uh you know a contemporary lens right which is problematic you you have to view it through those who penned it through their eyes through their lens to understand it properly um otherwise you can pretty much make it say whatever you want Um, the pursuit of happiness and those things how do you define happiness Uh, let's look at the lens of the framers See how they thought about right. happiness and freedom more. Um,
2: That's solely why, when Ben Franklin was walking out of that building, and they said, So, do we have a republic or do we have, uh, what do you say, a monarchy or whatever mm-hmm. it was? And he said, A constitutional republic. We have a republic if you can keep it. If you can keep it. That says a lot. You know, it's something that the people have to hold on to. If they just start giving away their freedoms, their rights. And we see it happening now. It's trickling away. I mean, there's some pushback,
1: but. Right, right. Our primary, you know, stand here was because of our religious sincerely held beliefs, but our secondary, uh, our secondary fight here was this, this land is, is free for how many years? How many mothers have lost their sons? And their blood has run red in wars to keep this place free. And we've seen an influx of terrible things, you know, totalitarian people, Marxists come here and, and try and strip those those freedoms away. And that's, our, of course, our secondary lens. But um, primarily, uh, we would like to serve our God as free as we can and, and be exempt from certain things. Mm
2: hmm.
0: What was, um, what was the role of your union
1: when you were dealing with all of this? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, the union would vacillate on certain things. Um, of course, the union's job, as you've been told, when you pay union dues, is to defend you and watch over you and all those things. Um, we didn't really receive much defense. Uh, we would think even for some of the people who claimed religious exemptions might receive some type of defense. We didn't receive any defense there. And the union knows who those guys are. I mean, uh, me and um, my, my dear brother who, who comes to our church, who was in the same garage, we shared the responsibility of morning roll call prayer. This is the you know, the so-called greatest city in the world where you're not allowed to do those things. But we come together and every morning roll call would happen and we'd read the Bible or say a prayer. And the men liked it. They really did. The men and women. There were some women on the job, too. Um, that They enjoyed it. Uh, nobody disputed it. But the union knew who those guys were. And they didn't really put up a fight um, for people of that nature. Um, we did. I did get a phone call from some union reps recently saying something about them making a deal with Adams about People getting their positions back so long as they took two vaccines, whoever the case was. So You're talking about recently. recently. Just recently. Yeah. So I'm thinking to myself, let's union speak. We made a deal.
2: You know, you
1: didn't. That's no deal. That's no deal. That's the same ultimatum I received when I stood strong on my principle months ago. Right. Uh, so we're going to stay the course and and believe what we believe. No, you know, I, I'm not going to let money. You know, by and by and large, we're not going to let money and things change what we believe God set forth for us.
0: Right. And you, you are part of a legal case right now. We are. Yeah. Which
1: I guess you don't want to get into too much, but. No, no. Uh,
0: sure. yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. There, there are lots of lawsuits going on against
1: the city. Yes. Um, yes, you know why? Because I'm, I'm afraid I don't know what I can say mm-hmm. and what I shouldn't say. Right.
0: Um, I will check back in with you down the line and yes, see how that worked too. out when you <laughs> when you can talk about it more in more detail. Um okay, so what what did you see happening? Um you, you were talking about some of the people that you worked with would um come to your morning prayer mm-hmm. and um I imagine that there were other people who felt the way you felt about the vaccine mandate. Mm-hmm. Um
1: What happened with them? (laughs) What happened with all those people? Um, There was, we got, I'd come in and when I got the news that I only had whatever it was, a week left to work before I was placed on leave without pay, people were pretty much astounded. Um, You? You (laughs) got denied? How did you get denied? But wait a minute, he's with you in your church and he got accepted? What's going on here? It was a lot of, a lot of that pretty much happening. Because um, people in your, in your specific their, church, yeah, were in the same garage with me.
0: Were were accepted. Right. Yes, so their exemptions yes. were accepted, and yours.
1: And was I got, was we, not. we got a lot of yeah. amazement of maybe say the arbitrary standard in which you know, those decisions were made. Right. Um, the and funny thing is when I put in my, my my last appeal, mm-hmm. my religious exemption, I gave them not only my own. Another a testimony. letter, testimony, about my life, about my religious belief. Um, I gave them a pastoral letter. Same pastor that gave letters to the other men in my church, in my garage. I gave them a 10-year offering history. I gave them a church credit card photo with the numbers blacked out. The hey, his look,
2: name on it, because he's a deacon.
1: I serve here. I've served here for some time. These are sincerely held beliefs. And at, at that point, I'm asking myself, should I even give them this information? Because why am I being questioned at this point? Well, what man has the right to, que- to question these things? You know? So uh, there, there was a lot of amazement when they found out I got denied. But here we are. But was there, was there
0: kind of a, a divided opinion among your coworkers over the mandates? or Did people have, a, have different views about that?
1: I would say probably 95 percent of the people on my job were against the mandate, but there were many who just went along with the flow because they, they had lives to maintain. Maybe they didn't have religious beliefs. Um, maybe they just had strongly held re- you know, rejections of the idea of a vaccine being forced upon them. But
2: they had families to provide for, and they right. didn't feel like they had the opportunity or a way, another way out of it, right. and it's
0: sad.
1: And it's not like we had a way out of it. No, We just decided to make a stand and say, "Look, well, this is what I believe.
0: It, it seems to me that in the past, if you had 95% of workers, you know, who, held a a specific position, Mm -hmm. it would be the union supporting that position. You would think so. The the union would strike Mm -hmm. (laughs) to support your position. So that didn't
1: happen. I mean, according to our contract, I believe that Local 831, you you can't strike. They're not allowed allowed to strike. This is the city. Without saying too much, there are ways the union or union workers have leveraged their privilege of work to get what they need i'm not advocating that i'm <laughs> just saying it's been done in the past right. um but we didn't see that but, you, but you did see a little bit of it right a, a little, little bit, bit it
2: a little bit but it
1: wasn't unified
2: right it and, wasn't unified. and that and i think that's the problem when it comes to unfortunately how new york city is divided and run. you know his garage He had that 95% of people who were against it. But if you go to a garage in Brooklyn.
1: Depending on the garage, depending
2: on the garage, Mm -hmm. right? It might be 95% or might've been for it. Mm -hmm. So there's no real continuity. And even for the workers themselves to band together, you know, you've got garages all over the city and if you've got more liberal areas of the city that don't want to unify with you because they either just don't want to be bothered they just want to go on and make their money and provide for their families or they just don't completely agree with your stance there's not going to be that unification mm-hmm. and in order to in order for this to be turned around quicker you needed that kind of unification Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there was no way for them to really get that because of the way,
1: different the, opinions way of
2: the different the way the garages the way the whole dsny out, uh, uh, job yeah. is set up you know it's not like everybody just goes in one building and works out of one building right and right. you've got different areas that have different peoples from different cultures and mindsets and you know diversity everywhere which is good but Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to get that unification throughout all of
1: our. With that being said, there were a lot of men who stood, you know, oh, and they spoke their mind. Absolutely. They really, they really they had did had about rallies. the issue. They had rallies Into and they rallies. got together and and there were lots of men, you know, that lost their jobs over this. And you know, I feel, I feel for them. Yeah, you know, we, I still pray for the men at, at, at my old position, um, just like we prayed there when we were there. we still pray for them and. You know, I still have brothers in Christ that are on that job, but... We see them um, every week.
2: Yeah. The
1: union really didn't offer, didn't (laughs) offer much. much. In fact, it really makes me question, you know, if we were to retain that position, which seems quite hard at this point, being our avenue of leaving New York City. I mean, (laughs) but if I was to uh, retain that position working for the city, I would have several questions about paying union dues. What does my union dues go for? Um, I know I don't have to now. Um, and I would like to see the charities in which it's donated to. Because there's been several things that have enlightened my conscience uh, with uh, this Black whole pandemic. You know, certain things that you come that come to light and go, oh, I didn't know that was derived from that. Oh, I didn't know that's connected to that. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's lots of things we're learning about. How those things
0: function and who's getting what, who's not getting what. Mm-hmm. Are there things that, <clears throat> so before the pandemic, you had all of the beliefs that we've been discussing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Are there things that you didn't believe before the pandemic? Things that you that didn't occur to you, things that you you weren't aware of that that were surprises to you that like that you, that you believe now. Like how, how has it changed your you perspective?
1: Mean- if you mean our central core beliefs, I would say no. Right. Our central core beliefs for me, um, Anything
2: what like we believe about them. the
1: world, Yeah. What we <laughs> believe about the world. Yeah. About the um, world. I think the line between conspiracy theory and reality uh, in, in many avenues, uh, the reality has shown that many of the conspiracy theories put out there is just wacky nut people. They're not far off reality. Um, you know, as far as how far Marxism has been propagated, um, I would say even even that type of ideology that may have come from the Frankfurt School up here in Manhattan that was derived after World War II, uh, taught in uh, uh, in these big Ivy League colleges, and now it's kind of trickling down into our cities. Um, the postmodern view: truth doesn't exist; everything's regular, all, uh, relative. relative yeah. all, all these things that we've you know we kind of mused about and thought about it have become reality and you know you, you think about them is this a conspiracy or is this a, and then now we see well a lot of times you look and you say oh the Marxists tried to divide people by class right couldn't accomplish it right couldn't accomplish that so what other avenues have they tried to divide people by well big time in the sexual gender area we see divisions there we see the uh we see Within the, the police and 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 race relations and all those other things of trying to divide people because if we can't get them by class we can we can figure out other let's use let's use progressive terms intersections in which they can tap into to kind of further divide people and uh, so things that we've been learning along those lines which you kind of saw from through a, a glass darkly you know back then shine a little brighter shine now. Up, certainly a lot brighter. They and it's
2: more in your face now they're not hiding they're not hiding it it's not right. hidden in the darkness anymore and i mean it's good that it's exposed now because i think a lot of people um a lot of people have learned what's been going on behind the scenes because yeah. it, now it's full frontal in
0: your face the
1: polarity is, is glaring
0: it's yeah yeah so is there a connection between the uh, you know, you're talking about all these shifts in politics mm-hmm. and society. Mm-hmm. Is there a connection between those things and pandemic policies?
1: I would say what happened during the pandemic. Where is where's the connection? Um, well, there might not necessarily be a direct connection. The worldview of those who push, I would say, pandemic policies has connection. So, uh, where you might be this type of thinker, a postmodern thinker, or this, or this, or this you'll find that there, there, are, there are like-minded people thinking the same way connected to pandemic issues. Um, so I, I don't like to say by, you know everybody's the same way because you know, that would be putting all, all people lumped together in one thing. Everybody's a little different. But if you accept a certain ideology as your, your foundational worldview, it's gonna to lead to certain thought conclusions
2: or you're more susceptible to believe other things. I mean, for me, I feel like a big connection is just control, because quite honestly, all that intersectionality and division that they're causing now, it's all about control. It's just trying to control people, Um, trying to make them at war with each other so that people are distracted. People's minds are clouded. The
1: victimization of of people. So that
2: when they put forth something that doesn't seem so bad, it's easier, easier, much easier, easily accepted. Mm -hmm. Um, And I saw that glaringly with the pandemic. You know, let's use this terminology. Makes it sound easier. The changing of
1: terms has been. I mean,
2: language nowadays is just full off kilter. It's crazy. Um, And redefining of terms. I mean, now a vaccine doesn't mean that it prevents a disease. Now it means that it's protection. You give more protection. You might still get it, but you won't get it as bad. I mean, just things like that. It's just, it really, I really see it as just a control mechanism. And if you allow like he said certain people with certain ideologies they're more they're more um
1: susceptible, susceptible
2: to fall into line right. with what right. the yeah. elite
1: I would is say on. you know and I'm not a conspiracy theorist I, right. I I I try to live my life according to what I find to be reality and true um but there are certain things that make you raise your eyebrows and um, I would say one of the tools being used by those who are looking to change the world according to, to their ideology would be the transgender community. I don't know. I don't want to go too far off a beaten path. But here's the thing. If you can convince a generation of people that uh, there is no truth, oh, this is postmodern thinking, that everything is relative, that a man is not a man he can you know, or, or somebody can't even define what a woman is. Of those things. If you convince a generation of people of those things, you can convince them anything. And I have a feeling that those with, who are really diabolical, who will use transgender community, other people as useful and I'm just using this term as, as a, as Marx's a term. term, this is Marxist term, useful idiots to control populations and set up what they want. That's what we see. But, uh, like I said before, I'm, I don't chase conspiracies. I just try to go with what we see and what's happened even in our own area in our own city. So
0: So what do you see happening um, for your community? (laughs) You are making this move probably. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you see happening for people who are in your congregation, who are part of your community, who feels uh, similarly, right? Mm -hmm. And are still here in New York. What's your take on that? Um,
1: what is gonna happen with more conservative people here? I, I think, I don't know if it was necessarily a, a, a thought out plan that, you know, certain demographics of people would know that there would be conservative people who would not want to take the vaccine and it would be kind of pushed out of New York. I don't know if that's a thought out plan, but that's certainly a conclusion or a consequence of what's what's been happening. Um, as far as the church is concerned, I think, I think there are certain things in the future ahead that may either help or hurt the church, because let's face it, with some of the self-refuting ideas that have come from one side of the political realm, there appears to be a great pushback that may happen, that may help the church, that may help conservatives, that may help people kind of stand what we would call absolute truth and reality and having a good and and and, uh, and sound foundation um, or it can increasingly downgrade into something worse and worse and worse to where,
0: you know, people can't
1: even define terms anymore.
0: I've, I've heard some people say they think that we're um, in the middle of a slow civil war in which people are separating into different parts of the country um, according to their it's you know, belief systems.
1: Right. I mean, we're we're definitely in an ideological. I war. was just going
2: to say that we are in a civil war, but it's an ideology um, ideological one, most definitely.
1: Could it turn into an actual civil war? I mean, nobody wants that. You know, we we pray for our nation. We pray for revival. We pray that the Lord would change the hearts of those in leadership. Like, I don't respect. You know, the political positions and powers will tell you you have to respect all beliefs are equal. No, they're not. Nazi Germany's beliefs are not equal to my beliefs. Um, you know, um, you can't view every belief in a pluralistic manner. And it just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but those men that I disagree with most, whether it be Bill de Blasio, Eric Adams, or other people, we still pray for them. Mm-hmm. We, we want them, uh, you know, to their eyes to what we believe to be open to the truth, to just um, to sh- being able to stand on a good, sound foundation. One built on truth. Um, But that's kind of hard. That's kind of hard when you have a foundation that says truth doesn't exist. My truth is your truth is your truth. You know, but we still, we still, our heart goes out to these people. Even though we disagree with them.
2: And that's biblical. The Bible, God's word tells us to do that. To pray for our enemies. To pray for those who prosecute, to persecute you. You know, and that persecution is a blessing because we are standing our ground. We're standing in our faith in Christ and to be persecuted for his namesake is a blessing. It is a good thing to count it it all as joy because we're only being persecuted because he was persecuted first.
1: And maybe, you know, maybe us standing for what we believe will strengthen others.
2: Right. I pray for that. I pray for that. For other people to be, for my children to, 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 look and see the world around them and to see what we're doing about it. Um, I mean, you know, us moving may not bring about great change, but if it can influence them in some positive and blessing way, you know, right. as they grow up, you know, hopefully, you know, as as sa- saved Christians as they get older, um, you know, that that that's definitely a prayer, a yeah, prayer we're just, of ours. We're
1: just two people who love the Lord that said no. We're not going to. And we hope son. that nah. maybe more would do the same.
0: Right. Tell us about your house. <laughs> um You okay. you, you, bought, you bought this house. You put a lot of work into it. Yes. Is
2: it t- <laughs> he renovated the whole thing basically on his own. He had some help, but
1: when we walked in,
2: it
0: was
1: every. It was, 1981 wall-to-wall turquoise carpet (laughs) it
2: was basically the same as it was when it was first built the woman who lived here actually her grandson lives across the street the woman who lived here was one of the first people to move in when this row of houses was built so when we walked in what we saw was all original like you said wall-to-wall Turquoise, blue carpet. That was the look
1: back then. You know? I mean, yeah. Wallpaper.
2: Wallpaper. It
1: was a big island exactly where you, where you're sitting. And, Our, and there was no room really for yeah. anything.
2: Our kitchen was, it was more, it went to where the sink is. And the sink was kind of like in the corner of the counter. And the counter came out as like a pony wall. So we totally reconstructed the kitchen. Um, yeah, you we know. just
1: we just hit the drawing board. <laughs> what do we want our kitchen to look like? And right. We just ripped everything out and right. during the winter of the pandemic, yes, yes, and put everything in. And it was it was yeah. hard from January hard, to March.
2: I mean, we perfect. moved in here and we still had no counter, no sink, no dishwasher, no you know. I mean, we were paper plates and plastic forks and takeout. <laughs> You know, I mean it was it was tough.
1: It was our first home. It was our we, first you know, home, you know. We, we, we bled and we sweat for it. So I'm going to do the best we can. Right. And you're handy. You did He's you did.
2: been in construction his whole yeah. life. He <laughs> this guy, he's a painter, he's a sculptor, he's a every I mean the guy can do anything. Quite honestly, he's boasting too much. nah <laughs> I'm just I'm just speaking absolute
1: truth. But uh <laughs> yeah, it was it was something else and. Yeah, this is where we are here, and we really didn't want to leave, but
2: no, absolutely not,
1: especially after only under the two year uh, capital capital gain law. Oh, yeah, I don't know exactly how that's going to work out with putting our our capital gains into a new house, it might get squashed. I'm I'm not sure, we'll have to talk to people about that.
2: But that doesn't come Um, till we file taxes at the end of this year, anyway. But yeah, that's another thing, we're being forced out only living here a year and under New York City. Law. If you don't live in a house, it doesn't have to be two consecutive years, but you have to have a residential for two years right before. If you don't do that, then you have to pay capital gains at the end of the year. So that's just another blow mm-hmm. to us at the end it's of like the year. It's just, yeah, it's, <laughs> you know. I mean, we had to list our house right under five hundred thousand dollars, otherwise we would have been taxed more by the city. I mean, there were just there are just tons of obstacles that. I just feel like every time the city got a chance to kick us, they would kick us while we were, you know, we would try to get up a little bit and they would just like put their foot on our back again to keep us down. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's kind of what it feels like a little bit, but, you know, I mean, the Lord has a hand in all of it. He's sovereign. He's in control. Everything happens for a reason, his reason.
1: That's what we believe. We were on a trajectory to South Carolina. If the Lord stops us in any way, shape or form.
2: Right. Maybe,
1: but... We're still we're going with right. our plan. So. so,
0: But you you decided to sell the house not just because you thought, hey, maybe this is really not the right place for us, but also because it became uh, hard to afford. Oh,
1: well, we, oh, would, well, we we've had never. no
2: income yeah. since January of this yeah. year. He was put on leave without pay January 13th, which is actually the year closing of our house.
1: I started my own business um, doing painting. He's and, doing of course, jobs. anybody starting their own business is... Is you know you, you just don't start with a ton of work. You kind of have to work your way up. So mm-hmm. we really haven't had much income at all. But like said, to maintain this place and all the bills, the high gas prices, Ugh. we would bleed out. We right. would never be able to. You know, and, and I don't want to. I don't want to bleed out everything that we worked for. That we worked so for. So we figured, let's strike while the iron is hot, and let's just go
2: to some place where it's cheaper living, you know, we can get more house and some land and property for less money, even though it's, the prices have risen down there compared to what we're used to up here, it's still cheaper. Right. Um. So, so yeah, I mean, it's,
0: yeah. What did you lose in terms of benefits from your job? <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> we as uh, city workers had some of the best benefits you can get. Um, So that was a big loss um, for them to say, (laughs) let me just tell you what we went through when we first Uh, lost uh, everything in terms of our benefits. When I went on leave without pay, um, they were given, they gave us a certain amount of time. I believe it was February 13th, February 11th, 11th to either get a vaccine or get terminated within that lot of time uh, and, and not far after my grandfather passed away. My son got admitted into the hospital with a collapsed lung
2: well that that all happened in the same in the same week all
1: within the same week and we were just we felt like we, we lost were our crushed. insurance
2: well, Curtis went into the hospital for the second time february fourteenth um and the next day grandfather passed passed away, away. i Knew that we were probably going to lose our benefits because February 11th had already passed. He already got his termination letter. But I gave the uh, ER person his medical card anyway and said, listen, just run the numbers and see. So she ran in. She's like, oh no, you're still covered. Not a problem. She's like, listen, there's a grace period. You probably got like 30 days. It's not a big deal. Don't worry Mm -hmm. about it. Oh, fine. Come February, what? Like 17th or 16th? Um, he calls me because I was in the hospital with our son. He calls me and says, listen, I just got a call from the hospital. We have no insurance. So I called the insurance company and I said, okay, what's going on? Because when I came here on February 14th, even though he got terminated on the 11th, I had insurance. She looks on the and she's like, yes, Mrs. Cutler, I see exactly what happened. What happened was is that, yes, on Monday, February 14th, you did have insurance. You had insurance Monday, you had insurance Tuesday, you had insurance Wednesday. But on Thursday, the city terminated your insurance and they retroacted it back to February 11th as if they had canceled it on February 11th. Mm-hmm. So being in the hospital, I had to rush to try to get emergency Medicaid for all of us. So that we didn't get stuck with a huge hospital bill as well.
1: So it was just like craziness. I mean,
2: I mean, talk about kicking you when you're down.
1: I've I've always worked. I've (laughs) always wanted to, um, you know, provide for my family. I never wanted to be placed on uh, government Medicaid or anything like that. And you know, many people have those; those they have that has their place, I would imagine. Um, But to be terminated. By the city, the way he was, because the uh, way the federal government government was being run, and then to then be placed back onto a government system, it was almost like saying, "We're going to take you from what you got, and we're going to put you underneath our
2: our, our system, our, our arm." Right.
1: And I was like, "Wow!" When you look at that from going from one moment going to a productive societal person to the next moment being somebody who is using taxpayer money. I don't. I don't want to be on. Uh, for lack of better terms, you know, taking from others. Uh, for what he's able money. to provide, I'm for an able-bodied man. Right? I can still pick up the garbage. I'm. I'm you know. <laughs> so it was. It was kind of ironic that all that happened, and um, yeah, you know, that's where we are now. Still. Yeah. Um, so. yeah.
0: So you're. So you're medical. You lost. What, what about lost things my- like pensions,
1: all the yeah, other they, things that come I with. I have, <laughs> uh, they have tiers, uh, five, 10, 15, 20. I believe that's the way the tiers work. I was in my seven, seven and a half year, years. So I only get five. I didn't lose the pension, but I did lose some other things that I probably should have got in termination, but being that I was terminated and I didn't resign, they took, you know, vacation pay away. They took some other things I was owed away. Um, Oh, you're terminated you can't have any of those things so they took all that stuff away like there's no stuff. I think that I, it would been nice if the union would have fought for those things too but they didn't um, so that's that's really where we found ourselves uh, right yeah
2: I mean we tried we tried I, I filled out things for unemployment online but filled it out and never heard back from anybody um, as far as I heard from the, through the grapevine, they like aren't in the office for the summer or something like that, and that's why. You couldn't
1: get a couldn't But really I, get a I, of them. I don't,
2: I have never heard anybody from unemployment. I filed for a SNAP. Um, and I was doing all this while I was in the hospital for my son. And now they have an app where you can upload all your documents to this app, and then they review it and everything. And at the time I couldn't find his birth certificate Somebody, you know, you have to wait 30 minutes on hold before somebody ever answers the phone. So, like the fourth time being on hold for 30 minutes, um, they said, Oh, you have a passport, passport will work fine. Uploaded his passport. They got every single document except his passport. So they denied me because I didn't prove his citizenship. So then I had finally we reissued another birth certificate for him. I emailed it to the judge who was gonna do our fair hearing over the phone. We had the fair hearing over the phone. And next thing was, okay, well, yeah, I have the email that you sent the birth certificate, but we don't have the passport on the original documentation. So you will hear from the commissioner about his decision on whether you get SNAP or not. Mm. And that was maybe like two or three months ago. And I haven't heard anything. So we I'm don't glad even have. Not
1: depending upon it. <laughs>
2: no. I mean, the, listen, the Lord has been amazing and has provided for us. We've yes. lasted so long. He keeps providing for us. We have, you know, I mean, it's not a lot, but we have, our bank account is not like, you know, completely depleted, but, you know, we can pay for food. We can pay for this, you know, slowly but surely. He's keeping us afloat. So we are we are thankful for that. But just any little thing that I try to do to help us along the way, the city has just kind of like left us hanging. Like we're, I'm left hanging still hearing... Waiting for the commissioner. I mean, that was like two or three months ago. Right. So we don't have SNAP. We don't have unemployment. Like, you would it's... think,
1: you know, <laughs> you would think for those who who oversaw the termination of so many people, it would be at least a task force or something to check up on how are those people doing? Are they receiving any type of assistance? But it, it just doesn't, it doesn't coincide with, their thoughts and prayers that go with the homeless situation in New York city. It just seems like a major hypocritical thing. Um, but from what happened to us, I I could I could see how some people can just in an instant become homeless. Oh yeah. You know, and it just doesn't make sense from their standpoint.
0: So with the unemployment, you called them and they just never, I I
2: went online. And, and you I filled everything's out a lot of online. paperwork. There's no
0: phone. There's no phone. You, no. Sub- you submitted it. Right?
2: I submitted. I filled it. It's like a like a whole line of questions. Answered a whole bunch of questions mm-hmm. online and then submitted it and never heard back. From, never got an email. Hmm. Never got anything.
1: Wasn't there one question? And I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head. Something about where you terminated or was something. There was, something
2: one, there was one question was, um, why are you now unemployed? Was it because of um termination and then underneath termination there was um clarifications of what that mean um which was all you know he did something in order to be fired from his job right he did something negative i
1: I was the you know the (laughs) aggressor.
2: right right or he didn't file you know he didn't go by the rule or whatever it was and everything i think there were maybe three or four choices and he didn't fall under any of the choices um, so I,
1: I kind of didn't meet maybe qualifications so I put, according to the way. Well,
2: I had put um, laid off was one of them. And at the time I was talking, um, I was seeking advice from somebody. And I was like, he doesn't qualify under any of these things. Should I just put laid off? And then, you know, they're obviously going to, um, you know, follow up with more details and stuff. And Which is like, fine. I, which I'll is, tell you know, them exactly. Absolutely. But at. on the computer, you only get. A certain amount, and I'm not going to put that he was terminated because he did something wrong. He didn't do anything wrong, you know. It was unconstitutional and, quite honestly, unlawful. What
0: was done right? To him. So you're saying that there was no option to say that he was terminated without cause.
2: Exactly. Basically, no. It was all about you know he he he. Dis- there was something right. wrongdoing on his right. point, and that is why you get terminated from a job because right. you did something you know that wasn't to your employer's standard but right. all his standards for his employer none of that none of his conduct changed it's the city who changed and the city who who right. changed the condition meant- and you can't you can't do that his his hiring process he met all the conditions for his hiring process you can't change the conditions in the middle of somebody's employment you right. know right. it's just it's it's not it- done
1: yeah, it's, it's interesting to, to meet qualifications for a job and then all of a sudden you don't seven and a half years through that job, all of a sudden I don't there's meet a new qualification
2: and you don't meet it. Like that who does that?
1: Here's another interesting thing just to bring up. When I was a supervisor, when I was demoting myself,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I believe I wrote on the demotion paperwork. I serve as a deacon, I want to put more time towards the church and towards my family. Um, that was your reason for demo for self-demotion. For self-demotion. And I find that, you know, I find that a problematic for them who scrutinized my career or my religious exemption. They have record of me before all this even Consistent
0: happened. Consistent. You know? Oh, you mean in terms of your exemption application?
1: Right. Well, that that document would have been laid aside probably as but, but the reason a, why. I did, but you're saying that you
0: have a history.
1: I have a history of it. showing religious sincere right. belief. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: So when when you, when you uh, whatever documentation you received when you were terminated did it specify anything about the
1: type of termination it or was an email. An <laughs> email months I think what was it months later I believe that said that did not meet criteria.
2: Does not fit criteria. All, that was That's there. all we got. That was it. Deacon of a church. He doesn't fit the criteria. But that was, the the,
0: that, that was for the that was for the Religious example. Rejection of the application for exemption. Right, right. But what about the actual termination from your job?
2: Non-compliance.
1: Was that what it was?
0: I
2: believe so. I didn't.
1: I didn't meet the uh, non-compliance. Non-compliance. I didn't you didn't comply. That's the criteria. You
2: didn't comply.
1: Something, something along those lines.
0: I mean, right. crazy. Did you? Um, during the pandemic, did you you had all these medical issues? And I'm I'm sorry to hear about your loss. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have um, experience with COVID? Did was that something that touched your
1: lives? I think from the very beginning, before people even knew what was going on, my wife, I was sick.
2: I was sick all of January of 2020 before anything happened
1: um and then I got sick the winter after we like when we closed on this place I got sick and I took vacation right to remodel that. this house so I kind of worked through my sickness so it wasn't anything I mean it was one day I was kind of down and out but it wasn't anything that didn't stop me from doing what I had and to same do. here like I mean
2: oh, I had you know phlegm and stuff like that did I get cough.
1: tested for COVID and I, I, even at that time with tests Still not accurate, but even at that time, were the tests accurate, to, uh, I don't think that was a thing then. But but,
2: yeah, you didn't get tested, I didn't get but,
1: tested. But uh, that was, you know. I, so
0: maybe, maybe not.
1: <laughs> I would say answer. most likely with everything that was going on, probably had it. Possibly. Yeah.
0: You know, it wasn't it
2: wasn't
1: a big thing. I'm pretty, by and large, From what guy, the
2: statistics say, I was, you know. I was putting up
1: ceiling boards and sanding walls.
2: We're not immunocompromised, moment. we don't have, you know, horrible health risks, we're a relatively healthy people, and the statistics are proven and science shows that if you are not immunocompromised, you're not elderly, you are you are fine with getting right. the virus. It'll knock you on your butt a little bit, possibly, but you'll be just fine, you'll come out, it's yeah. just like having another case of the flu, and that's basically kind he, of... What it was. Here's here's an
1: interesting thought. We have other members in our family who work for the city. Um, I won't mention any names, but um, one member has had a very, very high spike protein, probably from getting COVID, but they've been dealing with it for months and months and months and months. That individual is potentially facing getting terminated or take the vaccine. And they're put in a position to where city ain't asking what you, what's your spike protein, what, how You're are you talking eating? about the antibodies? Antibody Like an oh, yeah. antibody She's, test they did. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And right. it was, it turned out to be very high. Mm-hmm. Right. And that person put in for a medical exemption and still denied. It.
2: They're appealing it. Now they, they, they put in another one because the doctor is so against them getting the vaccine. Because what the vaccine does is that it gives you spike proteins. That's what the vaccine does. It 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 indu- it um, enhances the spike proteins, but their spike protein is already sky high from just having the virus alone, because they do have, um, you know, they. The, that's what the blood test shows. So the doctor revamped the medical uh, the medical exemption with more detail for the city, just to lay it out like this is more detail of why you know, this person should not get it and they submitted it again and we're we're waiting to see. But, you know, everybody's so
1: different. You think these things, these questions would be asked or medical exemptions would be reviewed even on top of what we talked about, religious exemptions. But that's an important thing too. And it just seems like, by and large, everybody's just getting denied. Where's, where's, where's the, uh, the studies, where, where's the, the understanding that people are different, you know, where's, where's all that?
2: It's not a cookie cutter. No, It's Mm -hmm. not a cookie cutter thing. And to be honest, if you want to get down to it, where's the constitutional right for religious exception bodily
1: autonomy and
2: bodily autonomy. I mean, come on. Like
1: I've seen lots of different people say, you know, you should not have bodily autonomy, but they'll say, Oh, only, you should only have bodily autonomy when it comes to killing a baby. So,
0: yeah, I think that, um, you know, I interviewed one of the lawyers recently, mm-hmm. and, um, and I was working on a lawsuit or a couple lawsuits against the city. And um, she was talking about how law related to, um, you know, Roe versus Wade is similar to the legal issues with um, vaccine mm-hmm. mandates. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Slavery as and well. And that, that there's there's kind of, a, there, there's an overlap there that some um, <clears throat> case law related to Roe versus
1: Wade, which is, of course. Back in the 1900s, no. right? It was, a, it was a case related to vaccines or something where they could impose that. Well, I'm, I'm no,
0: that, that was actually in the early 20th century. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I think you're, you're thinking of we, we discussed that
0: um, in that episode. Oh. But um, but she was talking about there being an overlap between um, the pro-choice, the legal pro-choice arguments um, that the uh, pro-choice people related to the abortion issue make mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the pro-choice arguments that uh, people who are opposed to mandates make. Right. Mm-hmm. For you, this doesn't work that that overlap you can't you, you... <laughs> these two positions are completely
1: separate right. for you right so no i i would say there is certainly a, a biblical uh answer to these things and you know when it comes to bodily autonomy you just have to look through the right lens um when it comes to bodily autonomy we believe every man and woman should have uh their right to conscience in their own body we believe people are wonderfully and fearfully made, um, and they have this uh, uh, this freedom to do with their body. And let me put that in a, let me put this in the right way: to do with their body in which glorifies God, right? Because if I just say to do what they will, there's, there's a lot of people that do strange things to their bodies, <laughs> but to, to glorify God, that would be the lens in which I would say. And when it comes to the abortion issue, when you look through the right lens, you know, there's no such thing as a Biological woman who walks this earth with two heads and four arms and four legs. A baby has its own body That body should have uh, As much protection as any other citizen in this country So I would say that the the biblical answer and lens for 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 those two issues is the same
2: If anything it's hypocritical for pro Choices on the abortion side to say my body my choice But then turn to me and say you need to get the vaccine because the vaccine, the my body, my choice phrase actually fits much better in the vaccine paradigm than it does in the abortion paradigm. Because you're telling me, you want to force me to actually put something in my arm that does go into my body. And it doesn't just stay here, it's proven that it goes everywhere and resonates in the brain, in the reproductive, in the liver, everywhere. You're using the My Body, My Choice to dismember another body.
1: Another body, right.
2: You know, aside from early abortion where they can just do a vacuum procedure and they just suck the fetus out. If it's farther along than that.
1: Fetus being Latin for baby, anyway. Right,
2: baby, yes. You are pulling apart another body. They're taking another leg out. They take another arm out. i mean that's and but you want to but you want to use my body my choice but it's not your body that you're doing harm to if i put the vaccine in me there's a chance that that vaccine will do harm to my body so in my eyes there is some sort of overlap and it's a little it's a little hypocritical right from the way that i see it
1: you know so, so for instance the you know the biblical lens and answer for a lot of these things is on one side People would just say, "Well, we don't know exactly what it is. It's just a clump of cells, or whatever the case may be." Well, guess what? You're a clump of cells too.
2: You're just outside the world. Just,
1: you just might have a different environment. Is that yeah. clump of cells really? So, the, the, the pro-life, or at least you know, the ab- abolitionist worldview, based on I would say, based on the Bible, is is much more powerful. It's much more foundational. I mean, you don't have the right to take away somebody's humanity just because their size is different or their level of development or their environment, or maybe their dependency is different, right? So everybody we believe, whatever level of development from conception should have freedom, you know, autonomy, and pursuit of, of happiness. Um, and, and we would say that through a, glo- a God-glorifying lens. And they deserve protection,
2: right? They deserve protection.
0: So we've just seen this, um, Issue addressed in the courts. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's obviously uh, people feel very strongly on both sides of the issue. Moving forward, as a country um, <clears throat> or locally, as as New Yorkers, you're still here. Um, do you do you see that as the way that? our society will move forward, that things will be decided in the courts and we'll have this very divided society. Is there any, is there any other path um, that you see toward uh,
2: mm-hmm.
0: an, uh, an understanding across that divide or a, a moving forward in a more harmonious way
1: as a country? Well, I would say this. By and large, this country has lost its ability to dialogue um, on very important issues, because one side, I would say, um, is intolerant to open dialogue and love and respect. Um, and, and I'm not saying everyone, but there is a large demographic of people who, who, when it comes to very powerful issues, um, ha- can't speak on religion or politics or any of these things. And I think it's a blight on our nation. I think these. Uh, these issues are certainly should be talked about. It should be done with love and done with respect. Um, when it comes to avenues for the healing of our nation, uh, if that can't happen, that's going to be quite difficult. Um, but our hope is that, uh, more strong, able-bodied people with foundational core beliefs that aren't postmodern beliefs that are rooted in truth and aren't relative will stand strong, look to serve their communities. There's a, there's a movement now called County Before Country. And I think it's very important for people just like us, other Christians, people with good foundations to get involved in their county because you can't necessarily change a country by wanting to just jump in some hot seat here or there without having experience in dealing with the people in your own community. So we think it's, it's, it's an important movement And I think it's a way to deal with uh, your community and your neighbors in a very relational, relational level. Um, If you're not dealing with people on a community or relational level, how are you going to deal with people on a? a, It's kind of like the principle: if you're if you're not, you know, if if you're not uh, if you don't have integrity with little, how are you going to have integrity with much? So um, that that's pretty much one avenue I see healing happening. But if there's further division and, and there isn't conversation able to be had and tolerance, who knows? You know, this is, this is a wonderful nation how it started. But because there isn't much different that lies within the hearts of men, it could be like the Persian nation or the Roman civilization. They rose and they fell. It could be that simple.
0: Is there anything that I haven't brought up <laughs> that you'd
1: like to talk about? I don't think so.
2: Not that it comes off to the top of my
1: head. <laughs> I don't know. I would just like to say to anybody who might be listening to this uh, that if, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer in Christ, we would we would ask you to stand alongside us, to stand strong in your beliefs, to try uh, to hold the line, and. Um, get involved get involved in, in your community and uh we're hopeful that what lies ahead maybe in our road uh maybe in south carolina that we can we can provide a way to bear good fruit for that community so.
0: all right well i want to really thank you um for having me in your home and talking with me well. oh,
2: thank you so much for coming
1: thank you for sharing our story.